series entitled Discipleship, Finding Our Way in Jesus, where we're looking at what this word means. What does it actually mean to be a disciple of Jesus? Um, and how, once we understand what that means, how do we live it out in our day-to-day -day life? And um, before we get started, I would like to open this up with a word of prayer, and um, hopefully that'll help us get focused. So let's do that. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we thank you for Pentecost Sunday and the reminder of your presence. You are with us as close as our very breath. And we just ask that you, as Brian mentioned, give us ears to hear today from you, from your word, um, that you would teach and encourage and challenge us. Help us be people who move from unbelief to belief in whatever areas you're calling us into. And God, more, more than that, just um, help us understand how you see us um, as your children and how that might affect the way we live. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, hopefully you had some opportunity uh, during the break to grab some paper, to grab your Bible, something to write with. Um, for those of you who are online, if you don't by chance have a Bible, um, there's an uh, online app that you could use on our online platform. Feel free to do that. If you're here and you forgot your Bible, that's totally cool. We have Bibles back there. Feel free to take one, use one, whatever you need to do. Um, and if you're wondering why I'm saying have something to write down, I would really encourage you today and as moving forward, when we give scripture verses, write them down. If we give some questions, write them down. If you want to take notes or, or definitions or any of that kind of stuff, they're really great to write down. Um, and it'll make your dialogue and your conversation and your processing of what we're talking about that more robust. So just want to invite you to do that. Um, first thing I want to do is get a little review. Uh, we've already covered a lot of foundational information in this series over the last two weeks, and I really want to make sure we're holding on to that as we move forward. So the first thing we did is we started talking about this idea of a rabbi-disciple relationship, and we learned that the word rabbi means teacher or master or, or master teacher, a person who had this incredible understanding and application of the scriptures. And that rabbi would be a person who would have students or apprentices or learners that would follow their teaching and their way of life. And that's where this word disciple comes from, which means learner or student or apprentice. It's a person um, who, relationally speaking, um, in order to be a rabbi, truly, you had to have disciples. In order for you to be a true disciple, you had to have a rabbi that you are following. And so we learned at the very beginning of this, these two words are, are intimately relationally connected. You can't have one without the other. We learned some fun facts that the word um, disciple shows up 260 plus times, and it's the most common word Jesus used to describe his followers. Greg mentioned the word follow last week, just in the New Testament, 150 times, while the word Christian, which we hear so common today, only shows up three times. And when that's used, it's typically from non-believers, unfollowers of Jesus, people who don't really have a relationship with God, describing followers of Jesus. And it's typically not in a very positive way. So it sounds pretty common for today as well. Not a lot's changed with regards to that word. We did a deep dive then into the cultural understanding of this rabbi-disciple relationship and how back then that was the ultimate goal that you could be a disciple and a follower of a rabbi, but most people never achieved this. Only the best of the best. 
And you also learned that um, if you were to become a disciple, a follower of a rabbi, what you were doing was committing to completely rearrange your entire life around the rabbi in order to become like that person in every way, in every context for the rest of your life. This is essentially what that rabbi-disciple relationship is. That's what discipleship is. And what we learned is um, uh, this great definition by Caesar Kalinowski that says this, Discipleship is the process of moving from unbelief to belief in the gospel of Jesus in absolutely every area of your life. And we also looked at Acts 17, 28, which describes essentially the same thing. It says this, for in Jesus, for in him we live and move and have our being. We learned that Jesus was a rabbi and that he sees each and every one of us as capable of being like him in every way. That Jesus invites each and every one of us to come and follow him. Those are the exact same words a rabbi would say to someone. If they believed they were capable of doing what the rabbi does, they would say, come and follow me. And Jesus says that to all of us, to his disciples. And he says, I want you to be my disciple, my apprentice. And unlike rabbis of the day, there were no tests required. There were no prerequisites. There wasn't this growth chart that you had to get to in order for this to happen. You definitely didn't have to have all the answers. All that was needed was to respond to the invitation of come and follow by doing so. And then in the process, you were learning to be like Jesus as you go. And this connects us to this day, Pentecost, because Pentecost is the day when we remember the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the launch of the church. It's at Pentecost where we see the church opened for everyone who wants in. It wasn't limited to certain people. It wasn't limited to gender or cultural backgrounds or anything. It's now opened for everyone. And with the arrival of God's liberating spirit, now literally everyone can have a rabbi-disciple relationship with God and be empowered representatives of Jesus to the world because of the very presence of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3 says this, No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. In other words, what we see and remember at Pentecost is that no one begins a relationship with Jesus without the work of the Spirit initiating it, whether you realize it or not. And this points back to what Greg taught us last week it's this idea that disciples of Jesus are following a person, not policy, not procedures, not rules and regulations. We're not simply given a list of requirements and facts that we, we just get in our head to learn or memorize or practice. Rather, we are following a person and learning a way of life that embodies the very life of the rabbi we're following. And in our case, it's Jesus. And we're learning to do this in every context. Now, today we are going to discuss how our identity changes as a result of the gospel and being followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus. And I'm just going to tell you, this is going to be a great example 
of how this idea of moving from unbelief to belief happens as disciples because this is going to challenge things at our very core about how we live and move and have our being, how we see the world, how we go about our day-to-day life. If we understand these things, it's not going to be just some content that we understand. It's going to be transformative. And so with that, before we get in there, there was a question I asked you to think about at the break. Hopefully you had some time. If not, that's fine. But the question is, just out of curiosity, I'd love to hear from you online, um, those of you who are here in the room, what makes up your identity? When, it, when you think about your identity, what makes it yours? Someone. What makes your identity? Where you come from, okay? Parent, Okay. Child of God, okay. If you're lost and you don't know where you are and and you have someone, maybe you're a kid and a kid is trying to figure out how to get home, how do we identify a person? How do we figure out who is who? What makes a person a person? Yeah. They know your name. They know your name, okay. Others? If you're online, feel free to type it in there too. What makes up our identity? Our community. What we look like, yeah. Ethnicity, okay, yeah. Anything else? Okay. Shared stories, shared experiences, okay, yeah. Cultural values, yeah. What I do, my culture and relationships. What I do, my culture and my relationships. They all have an impact on our identity. Uh, how, how God has identified I can serve, and uh, another one, my love for Jesus and humankind. Okay. How God has identified how I can serve and my love for Jesus and humankind. Cool. What I want us to see today is that as disciples of Jesus, our gospel identity is rooted in the image of the very God we are all made in the likeness of. We've heard this before, that we're made in the image of God or that we are image bearers of God. But what does that mean? And, and more than what does that mean, do we believe this? So, um, Kirsten, did you ever get a microphone? I forgot to get, where'd that handheld mic go? I'm so sorry. Um, if you want to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20, I'm going to get a mic to have Kirsten read this for us, but this is a good verse for us to look at that's kind of rooted in what we're looking at today. What does it mean for us to be made in the image of God and whether we believe this to, do, to be true? And I want us to see where this connects in Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Awesome. Now, what I want us to see here and we're going to talk about is that our identity, our very identity flows right out of the Great Commission in Matthew 28. Jesus says, go and make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, 
And we often hear the saying that we have our identity in Christ. And that's true, but our identity is rooted in our relationship with the Trinity. And it's in the name of this triune God where we find our true gospel identity. And so I want us to start with this first part, this idea that we are baptized in the name of the Father. If God is our Father, and we all believe that, I believe here, if God is our Father of all humanity, then we are all God's children. This means, spiritually speaking, we're all brothers and sisters. That's who we are. Look around the room. I'm an only child. I always think that I don't have any brothers and sisters, but that's false. My gospel identity shows that you are all my brothers and sisters. We're family. And so being baptized in the name of the Father gives us identity, and that identity is that of family. And the church is primarily and foremost a family. It's not a meeting. It's not a building. It's not a denomination. And it's not a set of doctrines. God is our Father. We are God's children. And that makes us brothers and sisters. It makes us family. And there's so many scriptures that speak to this idea. 2 Corinthians 6, 18, the Apostle Paul says this, I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, sends the Lord Almighty. I will be a father to you, you will be my sons and daughters. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11 says this, Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. So if you're looking at these verses in your Bible, those are good words to circle family. See that there? And I want us to see this is really powerful and has incredible implications for us. Sure, we might pray at times where we use that phrase, our Father who art in heaven, right? We use that phrase. But do we really believe that we are children of God when we are praying, that we're brothers and sisters, and that everyone you see is a brother or sister, and that your Father is, and your relationship with God is that of Father. We often think of Jesus as our Lord and Savior, which is true, and it's very good, but do we think of Jesus as our brother? That just as Jesus is the Son of God, the Father, we too in Christ are children of God. That Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. And what I want us to see is this is incredibly relational. It's all about family. This is not about following rules. This is a person. And so you can see how this shifts things from an idea of doing versus being. It's about following a person, not rules. It's about being. It's about who we are at our very core, and that is a family. So with that, I want to ask a question. I want you to think about how being a part of your family and how you relate to people is different from how you relate to others. I want you to think about the way you relate to your family as opposed to the way you relate to others. And I want you to think about what are the implications of this understanding for the church? How does this change the way we see and relate and care for and serve others in the church? I'd love to hear your thoughts. If everyone you look around this room is your brother or sister, if everyone in this room is your family, how does that change the way you see and treat people? Thoughts? Let your guard down. Let your guard down. Okay. 
We feel a little more comfortable with our family, right? Usually. Sometimes, yeah, depends. What else? Our, parent, our family typically knows more about us, though, right? Right? The good and the bad. And there's a little more freedom there. What else? Yeah. 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 We're, t- we're in this together. Yeah. We're all thinking of like our crazy uncle or whatever, you know, we're like, ah, but they're still part of our family, right? We're all there and it changes the way we are committed to one another. It changes the way we're rooted and connected. And, and if we're all family, it, 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 it has a transformative way of how we look in this space and we look at this room. And when we notice people gone, Right? Imagine if you're at Thanksgiving, and you normally have your family, and there's five seats open because your family's not there. You notice that. And we should notice when people aren't here. Right? Because we're family. And we don't have time to go into this today, but there's, there's lots of scriptures that say God sees all humans, everybody, all people as God's offspring and as God's sons and daughters. So we have redeemed brothers and sisters who've been brought back into right relationship in the family. Think of the prodigal son story. And we've got brothers and sisters who are far from God the Father. And we can understand this. So if discipleship is moving from unbelief to belief and walking in the ways of Jesus, then what we are doing is helping others, our brothers and sisters, see that life is so much better when we are reconnected to God the Father in our family. That has a very different feel from a lot of what we've been taught growing up. We're all brothers and sisters. We're all family. Everyone, hopefully you can see this has huge implications for how we see ourselves and how we see others in this room. Those of you who are online who aren't here, we miss you because you're part of our family. All right, let's move on. God says, we are baptized in the name of the Father, which makes us all family. Then it says, we are baptized in the name of the Son, we're immersed, we're, we're soaked in this identity. We're created this way in the image of God. But now because of Jesus, you are being restored in your true identity. And so for the second part, we are identified in the name of Jesus. And that means we are identified as a servant. That we live as Jesus our rabbi lived, and that was the way of a servant. Matthew 20, 25 through 28 Greg has that. Do you mind grabbing that? Sorry. He has a unique translation. So, um, And then, Greg, when you're done, do you mind bringing that to the white cards again? Matthew 20, 25 through 28. This is according to the message. talks about this idea of servant. So Jesus got them together to settle things down. He said, you've observed how godless rulers throw their weight around, how quickly a little power goes to their heads. It's not going to be that way with you. Whoever wants to be great must become a servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. That is what the Son of Man has done. He came to serve, not be served, and then to give away his life in exchange for the many who were held hostage. Awesome. And if you don't mind giving that to Marty. Marty, I think you have Philippians, correct? Yeah. Do you mind reading that for me? This is Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human 
likeness, and being found in appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Awesome. If you're looking at that verse, you might see that word, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God to be something to be used. That word be, being, being, becoming is there a bunch. Jesus made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant. This isn't saying that Jesus acted like a servant. Jesus took on the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness, and this is true of us as well. We don't serve because we're supposed to, or that we should, or because it makes us look good, or because maybe people, people want to come to church services as a result. No, we serve because like our Lord and brother Jesus, we are servants by nature. We were created in the image of a servant God. Think about God in the very beginning of Genesis. This is a God who serves. It's God's nature. And then God later sends Jesus to serve all. And then Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen God. And as disciples of Jesus, we are to embody that service to all. Heather, I think you have John chapter 14, verses 6 through 7. Is that correct? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Perfect. Again, Jesus didn't act like a servant. Jesus is a servant. It's part of his identity, and it's part of our identity as well. So God says, you want to see what this looks like in action? Look at Jesus. And Jesus says, I want you to do the same. Meaning whether you serve or not, doesn't change us at our core. And this is the same thing with our family. I can act like I'm not part of the Sclafani family. I could change my name, right? And I could um, act like I'm not associated with any of those people. Um, But it doesn't change my identity. It doesn't change my bloodline. And the same goes with our servant identity. There's a reason why when we serve others, especially those in need, it not only blesses those in need, it does something for us. Because it's at our very nature that we are servants. And so the question then becomes, do you believe that to be true of your identity? That part of your very being designed by God is to be that of a servant? Genesis talks about creation and how all humanity was made in the image of God. This is true whether or not we believe it. And this is how the original sin in the garden came about. Adam and Eve didn't fully believe they were made in the image of God. When we look at Genesis 2, we see God created both men and women in God's image, said it was great. We see God breathed the very Holy Spirit, the breath of God into them and gave them life. Again, noting that Their life cannot happen without the Holy Spirit. And after they both were created in the very image of God, they're sent to go and be fruitful and multiply. But a few verses later in Genesis chapter 3, it says this. Let me get there. Greg said this before, but my my text is significantly smaller than it used to be. Genesis says this. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. In other words, if you do this, if you eat this fruit, then you'll be like God. But they already were like God. 
They didn't need to do anything. They were already made in the very image of God, whether they believed it or not. And the fall in this lie has been going on, and it still goes on for us every single day. We need to do blank in order to be like God. We think we have to earn our value. We have to prove who we are, but it's a lie. Have you ever been served by someone who's doing it because they have to or they're being forced to do it? Doesn't feel the same, does it? We are servants by nature, and we are part of God's family. This is the core gospel identity we have, whether we believe it or not, whether we live it out or not. And part of it is, are we moving from unbelief to belief? Are we moving from understanding what this looks like to living it out? And so with that, the question I have is, how does this understanding of our identity change the way we serve others? Knowing that it's at your very core nature to be a servant, made in the image of God. How does that understanding change the way you serve? I'd love to hear if there's any thoughts. Mm. Yeah, that's awesome. Good. Um, those of you who couldn't hear, it says it moves me from being the center to allowing God to be the center as to why we do what we do. Good. Others? Serving out of who we are instead of doing something to identify who we are. Yeah. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. Cool. So Philippians chapter 2, his whole section is all about humility, how Christ humbled himself and did this serving opportunity. That, that's a great opportunity for us to think about what that looks like. Anybody else? These are good things to write down, again, these questions to think about, because they're not just like an easy, oh, I know, now it all happens, right? We, we need to think about what does it mean for our true identity to be servants like God? Okay, we've got to keep going. We've got a final one. So we're baptized in the name of the Father, which makes us family. We're baptized in the name of the Son, which makes us servant. And we're baptized in the name of the Holy Spirit, which makes us sent ones or, or missionaries. And most of us don't like to identify ourselves with the Holy Spirit. We don't necessarily think of ourselves as being identified with the Holy Spirit. But back in Genesis, when Adam and Eve sinned and went to hide... What happened? God went on a journey to find them. God says, where are you? And goes looking for them. God then sends the son Jesus to seek and save the lost and restore all back into relationship with God. John 20, 21 through 22 says this. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive my Holy Spirit. Hopefully, we're connecting the dots here. Because back in Genesis, remember, God created the first humans from the dust of the ground, breathed the very breath of God into them. The breath is the Holy Spirit animating them and giving them life. And after receiving the breath, the Holy Spirit, they are sent to be fruitful and multiply. Then Jesus says here, peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I send you. And then Jesus breathes into them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. I promise you when the disciples heard this, they are connecting the dots. 
It all goes back to our very beginning, to our core identity. It's who we are. Jesus is reminding us that he's made this a reality for us and he's restored this reality to us. And so the question then is, what if we believe that part of our core identity, part of our nature, is to be sent ones? What if, what if we're all at our very core to be sent ones, to be missionaries? If this is true, then literally everywhere you go, wherever you go, or as, or as the Great Commission literally translates, as you go, you are a sent one. Do you believe that to be true? We've been blessed over this last month of May with different missionary updates from all these various missionaries that we support in prayer and finances locally and around the world. And there have been these awesome stories. But we often view these people as the exception, right? Like, like they were called to this specific place in this specific situation, which is both true and false, right? I'm, yes, they were called to go and do what they were doing, where they were doing it, and it was specific for them. But that doesn't mean when they leave a particular place, for example, are the hearse serving in Africa. It doesn't mean the minute they leave Africa, they're no longer missionaries. It doesn't mean they're no longer sent ones. It's, it's not like the clock turns off and, and now it's time to not be missionaries. They're not just missionaries in Africa or wherever they're called. When they leave, they're there all the time on. And the same is true with us. We don't need to have a specific call to this specific place for it to be true of us it's part of our very identity and with it it goes with us wherever we go we are sent ones as we go wherever we go and so then the question is is that something you believe is that true and what does that change about how you go about your day-to-day -day life if that's part of your true identity? That everywhere you go, as you go, you are sent one. Now, uh, we got to finish up. we got to be done. Um, before we do, I want to say a couple things I want us to be thinking about. And hopefully you've been writing some of these scriptures down. Hopefully you've been writing some of these questions down because it's not something you're just going to hear and go, oh, yeah, that's great. Um, how do we move from unbelief to belief with these things? But I want to finish up with one reminder. Um, it's something I really want us to hear and hold on to, and that is that um, I really want to make sure we stop believing the do equals be lie. The do equals be lie. In other words, what you do equals who you are. It's a lie. You are not the sum of your faults your past sins or your accomplishments or your bank account or your pedigree or the degrees after your name, whatever you do does not equate who you are, who you be. And it goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. If you do this, then you'll be like God. Now, you're already created in God's image, and now in Christ You've been restored. And the sanctification process, this discipleship process, helping us move from unbelief to belief, it's all true of us in Christ. And it's learning how to live this out in every area of our life, in every context we go into. And so hopefully you see, this is so much bigger than just making a decision to follow Jesus so we go to heaven. It's, it's intended to transform everything about us. 
It transforms everything, the way we view our relationships, the way we view the church, the way we view everyone in here and our relationships with our family, with our neighborhood, with everyone. And so in short, we'll learn today that we're all created in God's image and that our true identity is a Trinitarian identity flowing from who God is, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three in one. And that as a result of our gospel identity, we are now family, we are servants, and we are sent ones as disciples who make other disciples. And then we finally learned that this all flows out of our very being, not the other way around, which is such a gift of grace. Over the next three weeks, we're going to take each one of these identities, family, servant, sent ones, and taking another week to look at those specifically. Because it's not as easy to just see these in words. What does this look like in the day-to-day? Let's talk about it. So I hope you'll continue to join us as we dive into this more deeply. But as we close, God, help us move from unbelief to belief in our gospel identity. That we really would be sent ones wherever we go, who serve all as if everyone is part of our family. Holy Spirit, help us to live and move and have our being in Christ and help others to do the same, that we may find our way in Jesus. Amen? I'm going to invite our worship team to come back. As they do, they're going to play instrumentally for a few moments to give us a little more space for this to kind of settle in and and percolate in us. Um, I do have a couple connection card questions, and again, These are great to write down. I would love it if you'd respond at least to one of them. If you're in the room, you can use the connection card and just drop it on the box uh, on your way out. If you're online, um, you can use the online platform to just fill that out and hit send and we'll get it. Um, Four questions. Question number one, if you choose, which of these aspects of your gospel identity do you most believe and live out today? Family, servant, sent one, or disciple? And the follow-up, number two, which aspect of your gospel identity is hardest for you to believe and live out? Number three, how might God be inviting you to move from unbelief to belief in these areas? And finally, number four, what would change if you really believe these to be a part of your core identity? We'll leave these questions up for you for a little bit. If you have your phone, you can take a picture of it or you can write them down. Um, But again, I'd love to hear from you on these. And um, before we close, though, I want to make sure you know this space that we have, you can write down things. It can be a space for you to pray or to confess, to give thanks, um, to receive from the Spirit, to be filled, whatever that is you want to do in this time. I also want you to know our prayer team is back. So if you're in the room, they'll be right over here, ready to pray with and for you. If you're online, all you have to do is hit that request prayer button, the left side of the chat. Um, know they're juggling both online and in person. And so um, just be patient. They will get you in the order it's received. Um, I'm going to close this in prayer and um, we'll have some space to reflect and then we'll sing one last song of response. Let's pray. Spirit, I feel like I was talking fast and uh, covering a lot. And I'm reminded, even as I was preparing this, how easy it is to write things down, how easy it is to say things, and how much harder it is to live them. And so, God, I pray for myself, I pray for all of us,
Help us to continue in our discipleship journey. Help us to move from unbelief to belief. Help us as we follow you, Jesus. Help us become more like you. God, when when I picture what it would be like for us to view everyone as our family and how that changes how we see and treat people, when I, when I think of everyone being someone I can serve, not because I have to, but because it's at my nature, those opportunities feel different. And God, when I leave and go out of this place and I, and I go to my coffee shop and I go wherever I go, um, when I go as a sent one, it changes the way I see the opportunity, the places I go, um, and it helps me remember, Holy Spirit, you're with me that you empower each and every one of us um, to, to live out what you're inviting us into. So God, be with us as we ponder what this means for us and what it looks like to live this out. Um, and we continue to grow in, from belief, unbelief to belief um, for your glory in our communities. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.